Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 36th chapter of Isaiah. Chapters 36 through 39, we call a historical parenthesis. In fact, it's kind of the second division of Isaiah, the first one we just finished. And these three, four chapters, rather, 36, 37, 38, 39, these four chapters will be the second section of Isaiah, and then from chapter 40 onward is the finish of the book of Isaiah. This is a historical parenthesis and an account of the events during the reign of King Hezekiah. And his name uh, is mentioned no less than 31 times in these chapters. His great works are in also First Kings, I mean Second Kings chapter 18 and Second Chronicles chapter 30. You have basically the same story told there as you do here, recorded in the Kings and Chronicles. And from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 1, we learn that he was a great lover of the Word of God because he had it copied, perhaps by many of his scribes. And, and that begins some of the Proverbs, too, that were copied by Hezekiah or by his scribes uh, in the book of Proverbs, beginning with chapter 25 and several chapters there. And the events that you find in these four chapters, 36 through 39, are not written in chronological order because his sickness was before this uh, particular problem that he had with Sennacherib, uh, the king of Assyria, that came in to, to destroy and to take the land. And so his sickness was before that, and yet it's recorded in the 38th chapter instead of the 36th, being the first part of what you'd re- find recorded about Hezekiah. So it's not chronological order. A lot of times the writer is impressed to uh, teach things in an order that is more in harmony with the point of the whole of the message and that because he's been talking about the Assyrian invasion instead of interrupting that with Isaiah's sickness he goes ahead and completes the Assyrian invasion and then he mentions Isaiah's sickness before the the thought of the Babylonian captivity and the in the 39th chapter. So there's a reason that uh, we have these orders, and sometimes it's rather hard to understand why we would have them. If you have your Bible open to the 36th chapter of Isaiah, beginning with verse 4, you have, uh, let me give you a key word, you have reproach. And this is where the reproach is brought by uh, Assyria against Judah and against Hezekiah as well, against Israel. Reproach. If you want to write right beside verse 4 there, 36-4, reproach. And you get down to the last verse of this chapter, verse 22, and you can write repentance. And then you get over to chapter 37, verse 21, you can write the word reply. This is the reply. And then you get down to verse 36 of this same chapter, and you have retaliation. So that covers these two chapters. Let me give you the verses now again, and you write the word beside it if you would like. Chapter 36, verse 4, reproach. And it takes you down through verse 21. Chapter 36, verse 22, you have repentance. Chapter 37, verse 21, you have reply. And it covers several verses down to verse 35. And if you'll just write it at the beginning of the section, you'll have the division. Chapter 37, verse 36, you have retaliation. So you have reproach and repentance and reply and retaliation. Four things that will kind of divide these two chapters up 
and they will make good sense as we go along, I trust. And uh, so we're going to read some of the verses in the 36th chapter, and then we'll get into the 37th chapter in a, in a little while and read some of it if we get that far. But I want to read verses uh, 1 through 9, verse 14 through 22, if you will. It says, Now it came to pass in the fortieth year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachis to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house, and Shebna, uh, the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherewith thou trustest? In other words, he's trying to reproach Judah and Israel. He says, "What? where's your confidence? You shouldn't have any confidence. You don't have anything going for you. And I'm powerful and strong, and I can defeat you and destroy you. In a moment's time. So that was his beginning of his argument. We'll get into the teaching of it in a moment. He says, I say, sayest thou, but they are, are vain, but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereon if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all that trust in him. But if thou say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship, uh, you shall worship before this altar? In other words, Hezekiah insisted on uh, the people worshiping before the altar in Jerusalem. And he says, You destroyed those high places. Now this wicked king and this wicked country did not know of the true worship of God and they thought well because Hezekiah destroyed the high places that surely he wouldn't have any favor with God uh, because he thought that was legit and it wasn't and uh, demanding that the people worship in Jerusalem like they should have worshipped all the while but what does the world anyway know about God's worship they know very little and he showed his ignorance of that at, at, at this point and he says in verse 8 now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master king of Assyria, and I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. He says, I can give you two thousand horses, but I doubt if you can get a rider to get on any of them, that you won't have that sufficient amount of riders. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's uh, servants, and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? He says, how are you going to... if you? If you can't even put riders on these horses, if I were to give you 2,000 horses, and you couldn't even put riders on them, how, how could you even turn away one captain that belongs to my army? Verse 14, it says, Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Now he's still reproaching. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver you. In other words, he's saying, You can't trust yourself. You can't trust Egypt, who you, who you have allied with to help you. And you can't trust in God because God's not on your side. I mean, when you say enough negative things about people, 
they're pretty heartbroken, aren't they? You say enough negative things. Suppose you have an enemy come against this church and say, you can't do this and you can't do that and you're a little people and you know, what do these, in the days of Nehemiah, what do these feeble Jews? Are they going to make an end in a day? Are they going to restore these walls of Jerusalem? You get enough negative input and the first thing you know, you drop your shoulders and your head and go off just defeated, don't you? And that's what he was trying to do. We'll get into the real meat of it in a moment. Verse 15 says, Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. Don't let him do this. This city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by present, and come out to me, and eat ye every one of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern. Until I come, take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Don't let him say the Lord's going to deliver you. That'd be like telling a preacher, don't let that preacher say that God will save souls or deliver the church or be with us and help us. And that was his tactic. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered uh, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And he could prove this, that they had not been able to, the gods of other nations. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? It says, where are these gods? They haven't. They've been defeated. Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their, their land out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Now look, verse 21 is very informing. But they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, say, was saying, answer him not. You think old Hezekiah didn't have some sense? He said, let him just give all of his argument, all of his negative input, and just don't even answer it. You know, sometimes the greatest eloquence we have is not saying a word. And it was in the case of Jesus, and it certainly was here in the case of, of all these that were instructed by King Hezekiah not to answer this kind of a reproach that was made against them. Now then, uh, I think I'll go ahead and read the 37th chapter in case we get into it because it's so... Uh, informing as to what we're talking about here. It says in verse 22, Then came Eliakim the son of Hilkiah. Now that's the last verse of this 36th chapter. That was over the household, the household and Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder to Hezekiah with their clothes rent and told him the words of Rabshakeh. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, chapter 37 now, that he rent his clothes. Now, by the way, the tearing of one's clothes and wearing sackcloth, a dark, coarse, textured cloth, were signs of distress and humiliation. And so they rent their clothes, and King Hezekiah, when he heard of it, he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over his household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and uh, of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria his master has sent, to reproach the living God. We said that was reproach, didn't we? 
There you have the word itself. And will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. So Ezekiah and all are driven to prayer because of the very reproach of this uh, Rabshakeh will give you the identification of who he really is in a little bit. Uh, so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Verse 6 now. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. God says, Here's what's going to happen to him. And he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. What God said about him was more authoritative than what he was doing in the way of reproach. God said he's going to go back home and says when he gets there, he's going to uh, be slain in, by the sword in his own land. And when we read the record, you'll find that's exactly what happened. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish, and he heard saying concerning uh, Tarheka, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. He says, You can't trust in God. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly. And thou shalt, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? As Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the children of Eden, which were in Tel Aser. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of Sepharvim, Ahina and Ivan? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the, of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, the Lord of, of the truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, he's speaking of his people, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lift up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy servants thou hast reproached the Lord and hast said, By the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon. I will cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees, and I will enter into the height of his border and the forest of his carmel. I have digged and drunk water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged 
besieged places. He claims that he has power to dry up the rivers. And he did in certain instances. But God is the one that has power, doesn't he? Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities in a ruinous heap. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and as the green herb and as the green as the grass of the housetop, as the corn blasted before it be grown up. But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back to thy way which thou camest. He said, I'm going to take you back home. And this shall be a sign to thee. You shall eat this year such as groweth of itself, and the second year that which springeth of the same, and the third year sow ye and reap, and plant vineyards, and eat of the fruit thereof. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, they that escape of Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, look at this, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. He says he's not going to come into this city. He's not going to shoot an arrow there. He's not going to come uh, before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. In other words, besiege it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred and fourscore and five thousand. A hundred and eighty-five thousand. By the way, he says, he said to Israel, you can't, all of Israel together, can't fight against one captain of mine. Remember when we read that? And yet one angel destroyed a hundred and eighty-five thousand of the Assyrians. You see, it only takes one angel to defeat that army. And it says, uh, smote in the camp a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. And so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. That's what God said he was going to do. In verse 38, look. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroth, his god, that Adramelech and Sharezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esar Haddon, his son, reigned in his stead. That's a long story, isn't it? But I want to try to give you some things about it. We'll try to, to uh, give you some information, if we can, concerning this. It's the invasion crisis, we call it. The invasion of the enemy, the Assyrian army. You know, crises often come when circumstances seem to be at their best. Hezekiah had led the nation in a great reformation. And the people were united in the fear of the Lord. And they had put away their idols. They had restored their temple service. And they had sought the blessings of God. But instead of receiving blessings, they found themselves in battles, facing the enemy. And after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. And so he, he was in trouble. There was a crisis. We wonder if God had turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to all that Hezekiah and his people had done. He had not, of surety. 
the Assyrian invasion was part of God's plan to discipline his people. If you remember earlier, we read in the, the 10th chapter, I believe it was, verse 5, where he said, uh, O Assyria, the rod of mine anger, the staff of their hand is mine indignation. Way back there, God had permitted Assyria to be his rod, to judge his people and correct his people. And so now it was really happening. And so God was disciplining in his people to trust him alone. And even Hezekiah had at first uh, trusted in his treaties that he had made with him, with the king of Assyria. Remember, he had given away everything. He had given away... Let's go back and read in Second Kings, if you will, chapter 18. It says uh, he gave him 300 talents of silver in verse uh, 14. And Hezekiah gave him all of silver and 30 talents of gold in verse 15. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars of the from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. He gave it to the king of Assyria. So Hezekiah had made a mistake in trusting in these treaties and trying to give gifts and it didn't work, did it? Only to learn that what? When you give the gifts, the enemy will keep the wealth, but he will not keep his word. You know, some people will not keep their word. You can give them everything. They can give them the farm. And if someone says, I gave the farm away, and you still won't, they won't keep the word. And uh, that's the situation that Hezekiah was facing. And then Judah had negotiated to get help from Egypt. Remember when they we referred to that in the 30th and 31st chapter, and woe unto them. They go down to Egypt for help, and in the uh, part of the even the 29th chapter, verse 15, it says, "Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord." And they they had a secret plan uh, to seek help from Egypt, and then he warns against it in the 30th chapter and in the 31st chapter. Woe unto those that go down to Egypt for help. And so they had negotiated help from Egypt. And this was an act of unbelief that Isaiah had already severely rebuked. And by the way, when you seek your help only from the world, the preacher should be rebuking you too. Because we should seek our help from where? Mine help is from the Lord. The Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill from whence cometh mine help. My help is from the Lord that made the heavens and the earth. So Hezekiah and his people needed to learn to live by faith and to do that without scheming. The Syrians had ravaged Judah and were now at Lachish, about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And according to what we read in Second Kings just a minute ago, Sennacherib had sent three of his most important officers to arrange for Hezekiah's surrender of the city. By the way, if you have that place in Second Kings chapter 18, let me give you something there. In verse 17, he says, The king of Assyria sent Tartan and uh, Rabsaris and Rabshakeh. Uh, now then, these three people, Tartan means su- supreme commander, Rabsaris means chief officer, and Rabshakeh, the one that we've been talking about, was the field commander. Now we find most of that in the book of Isaiah that we've been studying, this one fellow, the field commander, we'll call him that from now on. But he had the supreme commander and the chief officer, and and the field commander, and these are military titles. These are not names of these men. 
When we say Rabshakeh, we're really saying the field commander. It's a title that's given to him. They're not personal names. And then the three men that he sent were met by three of Judah's leading officers. Remember, we read of Eliakim and Shebna and Joah. They were sent to meet with them. And the place of this meeting is significant. You remember we read in chapter 36, verse uh, 4. No, it wasn't verse 4. It was verse 2. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And this place was very significant because it's the very place that Isaiah confronted Ahaz earlier, Hezekiah's father, some 30 years before. And Ahaz had refused to trust the Lord, but instead he had made a treaty with Assyria. Remember when Ahaz had made a treaty with Assyria? You find that recorded in Second Kings chapter 16. And now the Assyrians were ready to take Jerusalem. So neither the compromise of Ahaz and the compromise of uh, Hezekiah, none of this did any good. It doesn't pay to compromise with the world, the flesh, or the devil. And you and I sometimes think, well, we'll just uh, play it easy and we'll compromise and everything will be all right. The very fact that you begin to compromise shows that you're giving away your strength that God has given you. And God's Word is not to be compromised. I don't mean by that that we should not use wisdom and understanding and, and tact in dealing with people. But when it comes to compromising convictions and your stand for God, that is just a no-no. You just don't do that. Now then, we've read this field commander, we'll call him, Rabshakeh. We've read his speech, and it's one of the most insolent and blasphemous found anywhere in the Scripture. Because as we read the 36th chapter, you'll find how he reproached the God of Israel. He's about as bad as that old giant that came up against David. He reproached the God of Israel, didn't he? And so David came up to Goliath and he said, Well, he said, you come to me in the name of your God and you reproach the living God. And he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. So he had reproached the God of Israel. And he had emphasized the greatness of his king, the king of Assyria. This field commander had done that. And, and he was trying to frighten the people while they were listening. He wanted to frighten them. But remember, Hezekiah had already told them to listen to everything he said, but he says, don't answer a word. When you hear the devil trying to give you scare tactics, just wait till he gets through, be patient. And then when he gets through, just don't even answer him. You just go your way in the power and strength of God and you'll be all right. Don't start fighting with him. Just let him go. Because he's playing out his hand already, isn't he? And so, don't, don't worry about it. And he used the key word, trust, seven times used in this 36th chapter of Isaiah and chapter 36, verses 4 through 7 and verse 9 and 15. He used it six times over. Uh, I mean, seven times, I beg your pardon. Seven times over to try to get them not to trust in Egypt, says, you can't trust in Egypt, you can't trust in your armies, you can't trust in your charioteers, you can't trust in your men of war, you can't trust in God. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in God. He says, in what is your confidence? His speech was a masterful piece of psychological warfare in which he discredits everything that the Jews held dear to them. Everything that they held dear, he discredited. He begins out and begins his message with, you can have no confidence for everything you trust has failed. You can have no confidence. 
And he began with the, with that kind of a strategy. They had turned to Egypt for help, but Egypt was only a broken reed. You find that in verse 6. Look in verse 6. Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed uh, on Egypt. And he was right about that, because it was a broken reed. And they shouldn't have been trusting in Egypt. And Isaiah told them the same thing. They shouldn't trust in Egypt. And as for trusting the Lord, that was sure to fail. Just don't do that because that's sure to fail. Because he was saying Hezekiah had incurred the Lord's displeasure by removing the high places and the altars and requiring everybody to worship at Jerusalem. Hezekiah had taken his stand for that reformation and said, You've got to, you have... Jerusalem is the place that God has set up for you to worship. He destroyed all the high places and the altars of those high places, which were built in idolatry and as substitutes for worshiping God. And there is no substitute for that. And so, what did this heathen soldier know about the true worship of God? So, according to him, uh, Judah had no help on earth from Egypt and no help from heaven from the Lord. So they were already defeated. You see, if you let someone else on the outside state their case, or the devil's case, so to speak, against you, you'll just go home and say it's not worth the fight. And a lot of times we let the enemy state our case. I remember when I first came here, they said, Brother Joyce, there's not room for another Baptist church in Rio Dos. I said, well, okay. And I just went ahead and did what the Lord called me to do. And as a result, you folks are here tonight. I didn't listen to them. Because I knew what God had called me to do. I've never, this is, I've doubted a lot of things in my life. But let me tell you something. And I can say this truthfully from the bottom of my heart. I have never doubted but what God called me here to establish a church in Rio Dosa. I've never worried about that. I've never doubted from the jump go. When I had no help, when I had people ridiculing, making fun, and some said, you'll never do it. Well, I know God was in it. And I wasn't. I didn't let them state my case. They could state it, but it wasn't true. What about all their military resources? Hezekiah had fortified Jerusalem. You read that in Second Chronicles 32. But the field commander laughed at Judah's military might. Says, you know, we've already read where he says, we'll give you 2,000 horses, but you don't have any men to put on them. We've got all this. We'd help you out a little bit, but you don't have anything to, to, to even make anything out of it. As far as an army is concerned, Judah had neither men nor horses nor chariots to attack the Assyrians. And even if Assyria provided the equipment, the Jewish soldiers were too weak to defeat the least of their enemies. And even one officer, they said. All the chariots and horsemen of Egypt could never defeat Sennacherib's army, and they could not. And that was true. The field commander claimed... And his claim was that everything that Assyria had done was according to the will of God. You know where he got that? Because God had said earlier, 36 uh, verse 10, that they were, uh, in chapter 10 verse 5 and 6, I should say, in chapter 10 verse 5 and 6, that they were his rod, that Assyria was God's rod to defeat uh, Judah. And so in one, state, in one sense, this statement was true, that he was making this claim, that he was doing it according to the will of God. But no nation can do what it pleases and use God for the excuse a sin of cherub and his army would soon find out. They were blaspheming God and they were turning against God in every way. And according to this field commander, Rabshakeh, Judah could not trust its strategy. It could not trust its military resources. And it could not trust in its God. 
And then he goes further to say, nor could the people trust in their king. He was bragging about the king of Assyria and says he's a great king. But as far as Hezekiah was concerned, he's a nobody who was deceiving the people. And instead of trusting Hezekiah's promise of help from the Lord, the people should trust Sennacherib's promise of a comfortable home in Assyria. He says, I'll take you to my land and I'll give you plenty of food. Remember, he says, you'll have all that you need. Hearken, unto he- hearken not to Hezekiah, this verse 16, For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make make an agreement with me by a present, and come to me, and eat every one of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. He says, let me just take you away. And he took them away captive, didn't he? That was the purpose. That was his purpose. <clears throat> Sometimes if we listen to the enemy, it sounds very convincing. I'll give you this and I'll give you that. Hezekiah had told Isaiah, and Hezekiah and Isaiah both had told the people to trust in the Lord. And Isaiah had told Hezekiah to trust in the Lord. But this field commander reminded them of these gods of other nations that they had not succeeded in protecting themselves and delivering themselves. Even Samaria was defeated, and they worshipped the same god as Judah. So they knew that this defeat was legitimate. So this field commander, Rabshakeh, Jehovah was just another god to him, and Sennacherib did not need to worry about him. You know, God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And to those Jews who were living in unbelief, this field commander's arguments seemed to be, must have seemed very reasonable to them, because he, he was telling them a lot of things that were true about Egypt and about uh, his power and about his strength. But God had promised to deliver His people from the Assyrian army, and His word would stand. It says, just don't pay any attention to it, because God is not going to permit that to happen. If you get down to verse 22, we find the section on repentance. In verse 22, it says, Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that was over the household, and Shebna over the scribe, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. In chapter 37, verse 1, it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. Repentance is a proper thing when we see that we have failed. Hezekiah himself had personally failed. If you remember, Hezekiah had had, uh, done a lot of things he shouldn't do. He had made the compromises. And now it's time to repent and turn to God. And so, not only did the people repent, they rent their clothes, and Hezekiah rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth. Then he begins to call for Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, we want to pray about this situation. And they begin to pray and repent. And so, by the king's orders, nobody had replied to the field commander's speech. They just kept silent, which was the proper thing to do. But Hezekiah and his offers officers humbled themselves before the Lord and sought His face. And as the king went up to the temple, perhaps he recalled the promise that God had made to Solomon. You remember what God said to Solomon? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. And even though the Lord had brought the Assyrian upon them to chasten them, God had determined that Jerusalem would not be taken by the enemy. And previous to the invasion, 
when Hezekiah had been deathly ill, this was previous, remember we said it's not in chronological order, that Isaiah had assured him of deliverance. Now we read it in the 38th chapter, but it happened before the 36th chapter. His illness took place before that. And so he had promised Hezekiah, Isaiah had promised him that there would be deliverance. And God's promises are sure. But we must claim them. God's people must claim them by faith before God can work. So we're to exercise faith and believe what God has said. So this king sent word to Isaiah asking him to pray. King Hezekiah says, Isaiah, let's pray about this. And the king himself called out to the Lord for help. You know, in building up our faith, the word of God and prayer go together. So God had made a promise. That's why Isaiah sent a message from the Lord, and his word of encouragement had three points. He says, do not be afraid. He says, the Assyrians will depart, and the great king, the king of Assyria, the great king will die in Assyria. And when the three Assyrian officers refused uh, return to headquarters, they learned that an Egyptian army was on its way to help defeat uh, to help defend, rather, Hezekiah. And Sennacherib did not want to fight a war on two fronts. So he said, well, if the Egyptians are here and Israel is here, and now I don't want to fight a war on two fronts, so he started to put more pressure on them to surrender. Remember, he said, you must surrender now. And uh, in this 37th chapter, he sent this message to Hezekiah and says, if you don't, well, this is going to happen to you. I can't help but read one passage in Second Chronicles when all this was taking place. Hezekiah said to his people, 32nd chapter of Second Chronicles, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. Isn't that amazing? Now how could Hezekiah say that? There be more with us than with him. And he says, Be not afraid nor dismayed nor for all the multitude that is with him. He points out the fact that there's a multitude. <clears throat> then he says, With them, with him, is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And when he came, they, when, when the enemy came, they found out that Hezekiah was not so afraid after all. And if you read, we won't have time to get to all of it because our time is gone. But at the end of this chapter, you'll find, remember what happened? 185,000 of the Assyrians were slain. They were all dead corpses. And one angel came and, and smote them. And then the next thing you read is that he went back, to, he returned back to Nineveh. And when he got back there... Two of his sons rose up against him and killed him with a sword. So when God makes a prediction, we don't have to worry about it. And so when they pray, by the way, he affirmed his faith in the true God. If you read the rest of this prayer, and we've already read it, but we won't go over it again. Hezekiah's prayer is saturated with biblical theology. And it's just much like the prayer that we find in the book of Acts when they had so persecuted the apostles, they prayed much the same way. Let me just turn there quickly and read just a verse or two and we'll close. But in Acts chapter 4, now, see if this doesn't relate to exactly what you found there in the book of uh, Isaiah. Beginning with verse 24, it says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that uh, in them is... He recognized God as the Creator back there. 
who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For the truth, and he used that word for the truth, back there in the message, in Isaiah. For the truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Remember when Isaiah spread this letter before the Lord? He says, God, this is what Assyria intends to do to us. Here in the book of Acts, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. See how it correlates with that? And it says, uh, Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And it goes on down verse 31 and says, And they spake the word of God with boldness. When the place was shaken, they assembled together, the Holy Spirit filled them, and they spake the word of God with boldness. That's basically the same thing that happened when Hezekiah was praying and the people were praying. He said, don't be afraid of this group. You give us the strength and the power. And he just spread it out before the Lord asking God to intervene, and God did intervene. Well, there's so much more to be said, but we won't have time to say it tonight. But I think that shows us at least a few things that we need to understand about trusting the Lord in time of, uh, in time of uh, real trouble. When uh, we need to, when we're in real trouble, when the enemy seems to be surrounding us and be fierce and boisterous, you and I need to take uh, our ease in God's Word and our comfort in God's Word and in God's promises and just take our stand there and don't worry about what goes on so much. Full Hezekiah had turned it over to beginning with the Lord instead of trusting in all of his treaties he was trying to make with the Assyrian king. Instead of giving away all the gold of the house of God and the silver, and he took everything, if he had not done that, he would have been a lot better off by trusting in God than, than trying to make a treaty with them or with Egypt as well. So, we don't find help on one side. We think, well, we find it on another side. That's what he was doing, just grasping at straws. You and I need not grasp at straws. All we have to do, just as simple as this, remember God's promises, trust in God's promises, and stake our claim exactly there, and not worry about all the boisterous uh, reproach of the enemy, because they're going to reproach on every side. In your daily life, you're going to have reproaches that will come your way. You just say, I'm standing on God's Word, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to take my stand there. And it's, it's very simple if we'll learn to do it. There's a great temptation for us to say, oh, the world can help.